Uh, well, tell the fine folks uh, what people, what we're going to be talking about. Today we are speaking with Mr. Mark Kingwell, who is a professor of philosophy. Philosophy? Philosophy. 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 A philosophy bag? <laughs> <laughs> This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. My name is Rob Minot. Joining me today, as usual, Mr. Steve Barkley. Hello there. And Mr. Ryan Flurry. Is that a dolphin? It's a robot. Oh. Really? A yeah. robotic dolphin, maybe? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Because <laughs> that, that sounded a bit like R2-D2 had been swallowed by a, by a large yeah, I didn't know was, aquatic mammal. There. All right, there you go. Oh, we'll that's go good. That. That's, Yeah. Ah, uh, <laughs> well, that's a foreshadowing of what we're going to be talking about today, isn't it, Mr. Ryan? It is indeed. <laughs> what, what are we doing today, Mr. Ryan? Today, we are talking with Mark Kingwell, who is a professor of philosophy at the University of Toronto. This is going to be fun. This is really going to be fun. I've been looking forward to this since you put it on the schedule. Excellent. Uh, I, yeah, it's uh, so what, what topic are we going to be talking about, Ryan? Ethics and Artificial intelligence. Yeah, yeah. Could go deep. Finally, yeah. we'll get some intelligence on this show. That's right. <laughs> yeah, he's... he's and not kinda... from Google or Alexa. Yeah, really. They're the enemy. <laughs> uh, no, this is going to be... This is this is an interesting... It's always... I, I find it's always interesting to take sort of counter positions to things and talk about sort of a, the other side of issues. I mean, it's it's kind of weird. We're, we're an assistive technology with the emphasis on technology podcast today is going to be a little different. We're going to, we're going to be sort of breaking down technology and talking a little bit about some of the implications behind some of the technology that's coming forward and, and what as humans, how we should be re reacting to it and how we should be maybe taking a bit of a better look at, at how it's being developed. So um, very philosophical show today. No fart jokes or, <laughs> well, maybe one. No cowbell. We haven't even had a cowbell yet. No. What? No cowbell. And Ryan took the stick. No, it should be on the floor beside the table there where it was. Oh, yeah, there it is. Well, that's the jingle. That's the jingle stick. No, no. Forget it. Well, that'll no. work. All right. You get two for no, the, two, two for one. one. It's like using a jingle bell. Ooh. <laughs> uh, Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Bing bong. Hello. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Is that Ryan? It is Ryan. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Um, okay. Well, let us launch into it. Um, it's a, it's a it's a pretty heady topic. What what got you into in the first place? What got you in, interested in ethics and AI? Well, I, I'm not sure a lot of people realize that philosophers have actually been talking about uh, consciousness of non-human agents for a long time. 
Uh, this goes back to the 1970s, and, and you could even argue it goes back to Descartes in the 1640s. But uh, in, the, in the 1970s and 80s, a lot of philosophers were talking about what it might look like to have a fully conscious, non-human, uh, non-carbon-based uh, entity, and what, what the criteria might be for, for assessing the consciousness of such a thing. Um, would it need to have a body, for example? Would it need to have the ability to move through an environment? Um, these are questions that philosophers have been dwelling on for some decades now. So uh, the recent flurry of interest in AI has really just revived uh, a long-standing philosophical interest for some of us who work in, in this area. And for me especially, uh, it was my association with the Ethics Center here at the University of Toronto and thinking about the ethical and political issues associated with that question. So there are metaphysical issues, obviously, um, the nature of, of uh, you know, the status of, of entities. But um, I'm especially interested in rights, responsibilities, exploitation, uh, and especially through the cultural history of those things. So, um, you know, uh, CapEx uh, RUR, for example, where, uh, where the, the word robot is first introduced into the lexicon, uh, which is a, a really a, a kind of a fable of exploitation of workers, uh, is now a reality, not just for, you know, humans under communism, but possibly in the near future for AIs under uh, human rule. Um, so that, that's my interest. I'm, I'm a political theorist by training, but I have these metaphysical um, sidelines that, that come to the fore. Uh, with new urgency right now. <laughs> well, well, yeah, because I was going to say that. I was like, it, it must feel like now more than ever at any other point, it really feels like we really are on the cusp of having to deal with some of these ethical issues of AI because it looks like we're we're real close to, to actually developing something that we can point to and say, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's AI of, of science fiction of the 50s. Yeah, I think that's right. And the, um, the speculation often runs ahead of the, uh, the technical realities. And so does the cultural stuff. So, um, you know, we all, we're all familiar with the, the different versions of AIs becoming conscious in uh, positive and mostly, mostly negative forms. Um, you know, the Terminator franchise, uh, the reboot right. of, of Battlestar Galactica, uh, you know, all of these, these Westworld um, all of these these um, instances of our imagination trying to grapple with what it might look like to confront a non-human entity that's conscious and, and purposeful and possibly violent and bent on our subjugation. Uh, in <laughs> fact, now that the, the technical realities are much closer to, though, although not yet at, the point where we, can, we could imagine confronting or, or um, having to deal with a non, non-human conscious entity, uh, yeah, it's uh, everyone's talking about it, you know, and from everything, um, you guys know this, everything from, say, medical technologies, diagnostics, um, you know, self-driving cars, self-landing planes, to things like the Internet of Things, where you have uh, conscious or semi-conscious, apparently, entities inside your home uh, who are directing your, your everyday life. Are, are you uh, talking about the American president? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we're in um, the politics. I, I guess the jury's still out on whether, whether he counts as a conscious entity or not. Um, but, but yes, I mean, for the first time ever, really, in the history of, of humankind, uh, we are 
you know, at or near what people call the singularity, uh, you know, the point at which there might be not only um, non non carbon based uh, conscious beings, but maybe ones that are are smarter and more powerful than we are. And I think, you know, for me, this is very exciting because uh, it, it throws it back on us as a question of what it means to be human, uh, whether that's distinctive in any way. And if it's not, um, in what ways is it not? You know, are we into a transhuman future, post-human? Um, will there be a kind of uh, cyborg future? We're already cyborgs in many ways now. Um, so, yeah, that I think... The technical realities have kind of almost caught up to the speculation, and I think that's why people feel this so so acutely right now. Are, are we even really prepared to identify a non-human intelligence? Like there, there's been um, talk for years about, um, say, dolphins and whales, for example, having a high level of intelligence, but um, because they're non-human, I think we we don't necessarily have the tools to say just how intelligent they are. Yeah, that raises a really interesting point because I think we have not really confronted uh, the non-human yet carbon-based uh, consciousnesses that might be out there like advanced uh, mammals um, and and other uh, forms of life. There's a debate right now, I don't know if you guys are following this, but there's a debate about whether plants and other kinds of, of um, uh, you know, uh, Animals, uh, non-animal forms, rather, are, are conscious uh, flora, you know, not fauna. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we really know what consciousness is. I think that's the philosophical mystery at the heart of this. And uh, what's fascinating to me is, um, you know, the, the uncanniness of encountering the other. Uh, so we, we take for granted that we recognize uh, conscious others when we go out on the street, say, or we get into a subway car or... I don't know, wherever it is, go to a workplace. You see these other beings that resemble you and they act the way that you do. And you kind of assume that they're conscious in the same way that you are. But uh, I mentioned Descartes a few minutes ago. I mean, the, the, the Cartesian hangover is, uh, you know, centuries later, we still don't really know if another entity is conscious in the way that we are because we don't have access to their consciousness. We're dealing with the phenomenology of, of their presence in the world, and we're, we're, we're layering that over with all kinds of expectations and the premises that we assume. Um, this is why we find it so hard to recognize the possibility of, of others, of other kinds of beings uh, having consciousness. Uh, so, for example, I mean, the, the, the biggest barrier for, for many people is language. Uh, you know, you look at, you mentioned dolphins. Dolphins certainly have language, but the language that they have, it, it certainly to me, it seems, uh, the language they have is not recognizable to us or translatable to us as language. So we're, we're sort of struggling with that. Um, the, 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 the test case on the other side, of course, would be the uh, uncanniness of an entity that isn't carbon-based but looks exactly like us and acts and talks exactly like us. We wouldn't be able to tell the difference. That's the Cylon right. Uh, paradox, right? Um, and and the, the kind of endgame version of that is uh, this is a spoiler for any of your listeners who haven't watched Battlestar Galactica, but uh, you know, or or um, Blade Runner, the the Deckard or the Boomer character who is a non-human entity but doesn't know that it's a non-human entity, uh, and 
that that at that point all bets are off because it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, I I I take it that I'm carbon based. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure I am, and I'm pretty sure I'm conscious. But um, I wouldn't know if I wasn't, and I wouldn't know if you guys weren't. I mean, not not just because we're you know talking on the phone or um, whatever, but even if I met you in person, um, we there, there's a there's a kind of vanishing point where we can't tell the difference. So all of this is really, I think, philosophically fascinating, but it's also politically very weighted. And we're still catching up with, uh, put it in context, we're still catching up with granting different kinds of entities that are very, very like the mainstream or the, you know, the big bulge in, in the normal distribution and giving them rights. So, uh, you know, it's not, you have to remind yourself, it's not that long ago that women didn't have certain rights or that black men or black women didn't have certain rights. Uh, we're still catching up uh, people with, with um, you know, non-standard human bodies, for example, uh, you know, um, if they have so-called disabilities. Um, we're, we're, we're very bad at this, actually, because we, we tend to, to cluster towards the, the middle of the normal distribution. Yeah, and doesn't it seem like I, I know a lot of people have sort of gone on record to be, you know, very cautious about AI. And, you know, from an outside point of view, it seems to me, we haven't even figured this stuff out with ourselves. And here we are, we're trying to create it artificially. That, that to some people might seem really foolish. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I understand the, the caution that people are feeling. On the other hand, there's a, there's a total lack of caution about certain things. So, you know, I mentioned IOT earlier. People are, are allowing very, very powerful AIs into their homes already in fridges or televisions or Alexa. Right. And, uh, and they don't seem to have any trouble with that. Uh, and then, and then the very same people often turn around and say, well, you know, I mean, obviously we can't have robots with rights. Well, you, you just gave away a huge <laughs> amount of privacy, um, five minutes ago to, to this AI, uh, which by the way is deployed for and serves a huge corporation that is gathering your data 24 hours a day. Right. Um, so I, I think people are cautious about the wrong thing sometimes. I'm, I'm far less worried about, uh, you know, our, our possible future fellow citizens being non-carbon based than I am about technologies that, that come into my, my inner space and, and exploit me for profit to, to, you know, big data mining corporations. Um, I think people have, have the wrong political focus. And that's part of what I'm, I'm arguing these days. Is, uh, you know, let's, let's get the focus on the right thing. Yeah. So that we can. Yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, um, yeah, because it really seems to me that people are becoming sort of climatized to, in small increments to the, all these things. Um, you know, because like you said, you know, five years ago, the digital assistants like uh, Google Home and Alexa they weren't around and, and they would, it would almost seem outrageous if you had explained what they were 10 years ago, say. Um, but now they're, they're, they're so common. And so people are sort of slowly being, um, you know, climatized to, to the notion of AI that they're not having these concerns or these discussions. Does, 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 you know, as, as an ethicist, does that concern you? Yeah, very much so. And, Part of it is rooted in what I think is a persistent 
failure to understand the nature of our relationship to technology. And uh, on this question, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a little old-fashioned. Um, you know, I align myself with people like Martin Heidegger and Jacques Ellul and, and even Marshall McLuhan. You know, we, we don't understand the technologies that we embrace um, because they, they come to us in seductive forms, in, in the form of, you know, the, the, that, that old saying that the first generation of a technology looks like magic, and then um, the second generation looks like uh, something that we've always had and we take it for granted. And both of those moments are seductive right. in their different ways. And meanwhile, the, you know, one of the greatest and most pernicious myths about technology is that it's neutral, that somehow, well, you know, oh, Twitter, it could be used for good or it could be used for ill. Uh, that's not the point about Twitter. The point about Twitter is that it has inbuilt tendencies, just like any technology does, that have to be recognized and, and highlighted so that you don't fall into error uh, when you use it. You know, so um, um, this is an example that comes from my friend um, uh, Rushkoff, who, uh, who says, you know, a gun, a handgun, can be used as a paperweight. Uh, but obviously that's not the way the technology is intended to be used. So um, the, the purpose of the technology, the way the technology has been built, is not neutral. And it's not a, a question of whether, you know, you kill a good guy or a bad guy. The, the whole purpose of a handgun is to kill people. Right. And you could say the same thing on the flip side of a pillow. You know, you can use a pillow to kill somebody, but that's not what the pillow is for. Pillow's, you know, purpose, its technological end purpose or, or final cause is to, to rest one's head. So uh, these things can be perverted, but we have to notice that they are actually created with certain kinds of parameters and tendencies built into them. And I think this is what people constantly miss about technology when they resort to the language of neutrality. Well, it's just, it could be this or it could be that. Uh, no, I mean, a tool is a tool because it was built for a certain kind of uh, activity. And, um, you know, Somebody like we mentioned, the, the president, current president of the United States, he understands the nature of Twitter very well. He's actually a technologically savvy person because he understands that the, the whole point of Twitter is to do what he's doing with it, which is to foment a certain kind of reactive news cycle and um, reaction a discourse that's truncated and, and bizarre uh, to, to the, you know, the eyes of somebody like me um, who who would like there to be a much more robust public sphere um, and so on and so on. I, I guess I feel like maybe we're, I'm, I'm wandering a little bit from the topic, but the point is that uh, people really don't have a clear idea of the technologies they use and they fall into certain patterns because they're convenient or, or easy uh, and they resist other patterns that might actually be better, partly because their views on technology are unclear. Now, do you see it problematic that, say, like, I, I don't know, I don't know what, uh, like, say, over the past 50 years, um, technology has started to advance at such a rate that we're not really able to really grasp the implications of the technology before it's already common in, in, in common usage. Do you see that as a problem? Yeah, I, that that has certainly been true, at least since the end of the Second World War, when you had these mega corporations. Uh, who who started driving uh, in in and and not just the corporations themselves creating the technologies, but their constellations of interests, including think tanks and 
uh, pundits uh, and um, writers, some of whom were not necessarily associated directly with them, but were just part of the rhetoric of, of progress and inevitability, technological inevitability. Uh, so yes, in the last, let's call it, I mean, it's, what is it, 50 years, 60 years, uh, this has absolutely accelerated. There's no question. And uh, the ordinary person who kind of wakes up every day and turns on a screen uh, or, or, you know, carries their phone around with them all day, every day, uh, I just read a statistic, 95% of North American teenagers have a phone. Uh, that's a staggering statistic when you think about the range of socioeconomic distribution. Uh, that that even people, even teenagers in, you know, objectively poor homes have access to smartphone technology um, all the time. Uh, that that changes your your relationship to the world. That that is a new kind of being in the world that didn't exist uh, with the smartphones um, ten years ago, and. So yes, the, the, this keeps happening very, very quickly, and it answers to certain kinds of needs and desires. And I would, I would go further. I'd say um, certain kinds of addictive tendencies. And uh, people are very, very poor at having self-reflective attitudes with respect to their own desires, and especially with respect to their own addictive tendencies. Uh, we're all addicts, really, at, at heart. I mean, the human brain is an addictive, uh, you know, sponge. And um, certain kinds of things play into it. And people who, who are designing um, apps and programs and uh, certain kinds of interfaces, they know this very well. I mean, that's, that's what they're paid to do, is, is to play to our addictive tendencies. Yeah, and I mean, it seems to me like, and, and you, know, I, you know, you don't, on the one hand, you don't want to seem alarmist, but at the same time, um, you know, when they developed the H-Track, I mean, that was a pretty innocuous technological advance that didn't really go anywhere. I mean, that's that's pretty harmless. But something like smartphones, um, this is that's almost a game changer. And certainly AI is is a definite game changer. I mean, eventually, do you think that are we are we eventually going to have this bite us in the ass where we're just going to develop something and release it and just be like, hey, like we'll we'll figure it out down the road, and it's it is really going to shake our foundation. Well, that, that's one that's one version of the nightmare scenario, isn't it? It's, it's one of the ones that you see, or at least some variant thereof in the movies, right? So, um, uh, you know, we developed Skynet as, uh, I forget what the original purpose of Skynet was supposed to be, but it was supposed to be good. So Skynet was supposed to protect us, I suppose, or, or make our lives easier, and then it became conscious and tyrannical. Uh, that's the nightmare scenario. I think much more proximate is going to be something like a smartphone, where we de become dependent upon certain uh, kinds of applications and interfaces, and we can no longer uh, go back to a point where we are independent of them. Um, you know, the one one less uh, nightmarish version of this is in Wall-E, the, the Pixar movie, where the off-world planet with the humans on it, or the, sorry, the off-world spaceship with the humans on it, um, have become so dependent on technology that they just live in these kind of uh, super recliners and are um, massive overweight and, uh, you know, playing games all the time. Yep. Um, that, that, that and, and eating, 
you know, that, that seems like, well, we're almost there. Yeah. Rob, Rob and I just exchange glances. That's kind of our utopian future. <laughs> yeah. That's all like, I, I'm, I'm trying to get into the matrix. I'm, I want to, I want to get into one of those pods where they just, I just get fed and I'm in this nice, nice warm liquid and I'm in that egg. Like put me there. <laughs> Yeah, well, as long as I have a halo, I might, I might do it too. <laughs> uh, but you know, the the uh, the, the base of, of the or the, the core of, the, of your question is is um, the one that we should be thinking of, which is, you know, what what do we want uh, human life to look like? You know, I, I I don't think it's wrong to be alarmist. I, I call myself um, quite happily a, a neo luddite. Um, not because I want to destroy technology. I'm not, I'm not that kind of Luddite, but uh, just in the sense that I think to be very, um, very, very clear in our minds about what we want from our relationship with, with these kinds of, of tools that we're creating. And uh, I think it's, it's too fast for a lot of people to even have any reflection about it. And, and, and by the way, I should go back to an earlier point. It's not just that it's too fast for individuals, but that there are forces of, of cultural rhetoric uh, that are pushing. You know, I, I just saw an interview with um, Jeff Bezos uh, from uh, Amazon, and he was talking about how he thought it would be, quote, irresponsible for some people to resist uh, signing up for uh, different versions of Amazon, Amazon Prime or Prime Now, you know, these new... Um, shorter timeline, drone-based forms of, of consumer delivery, irresponsible. Uh, hmm. That's kind of an outrageous claim. I mean, that's, that's a fascistic claim. Yeah. That, that <laughs> it's, it's not even up to you anymore. Um, Jeff Bezos says it's irresponsible for you not to be part of his, his uh, you know, world-dominating uh, consumer retail model. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, if you think about it, I mean, there there really is no sort of there's no sort of governance on any of this. Like anybody can develop a technology as fast as they want. Um, yeah. You know, no one's no one's taking the time really. Everyone wants to be the new kid on the block that develops the new cutting edge technology that's going to revolutionize whatever something, and they just they just develop it without really looking down the line and looking at the um, implications of that. Yeah, and again, once once more, I should say, as a political theorist, this this alarms me because uh, if you listen to the rhetoric of of um, not just Bezos but people like Peter Thiel or Elon Musk uh, or any um, you know these self-appointed prophets and, and demigods of Silicon Valley, uh, they don't care about democratic regulation. They they actually see themselves as already post-governmental or or post-national. And it's true. I mean, most of their assets have been offloaded out of out of the tax reach of any national entity. And uh, they're thinking likewise. I mean, they think that they're speaking directly to uh, a consumer mass, uh, which has no necessary connection to any sort of national regulation. Uh, now, you can argue, you know, maybe the nation state is over. But one thing you have to say for the nation state is, is, is that it has been the most reliable regulator of, of rights and responsibilities that humans have developed over time. And if, if we're going to a post-national uh, reality, um, I, I think we should about much more so, say, than killer robots, because it means that we're no longer 
going to be beholden to each other as fellow citizens. Uh, and once we break that tie, uh, it's already a kind of winner-take-all economy. Um, once we break the national tie of citizenship and the tax base and redistributive uh, forms of, of income control and legal regulation, all bets are off, seems to me. So, um, yeah, as, as a political reality, that's much more proximate than, um, you know, the Terminator, for example. So do you think uh, the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a killer robot is a good guy with a killer robot? <laughs> <laughs> All I know is that I want I want my Robbie the robot by my side, just like uh, Walter <laughs> Pidgeon in um, that that movie, um, Forbidden Planet, right? Because uh, he not only a manservant but also a, a bodyguard. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I, I, I want that. <laughs> I'll take mine as Daryl Hannah from Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yeah, I mean, so let me ask you this. Who, who, who's, looking, who's looking at the big picture, if anybody? I mean, are, are, are people like you, are, are, are these the only people that are sort of looking down the road and going, okay, well, you know what? Self-driving cars are cool and neat, but what about you know, this, that, you know, something 10 years down the road. I mean, a self-driving car is a good example because nobody really thinks about all the implications of something like a self-driving car would actually have on the infrastructure of an average city. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I do think, um, and maybe this is unfortunate or just the reality, but uh, it's, it is people like me who are thinking about these things and, and we tend to do it in seminar rooms and um, scholarly journals. Uh, I, I have long been convinced, however, that there is a strong trickle-down effect uh, when it comes to things like this. I wouldn't do political theory otherwise. Uh, if you look at um, the, the classics of, of political thinking, um, you know, even even recent classics, say John Rawls's theory of justice from 1970, had a huge impact on on American society. Um, in terms of, of how to actually justify and, and defend uh, a tax regime, for example, or a rights regime. Um, so philosophers, you know, we, we seem to toil in, in isolation and obscurity, but, but actually one hopes at least that the, the cumulative effort is, is not without some kind of effect. Um, but I also I, I get the impression that the, the debate is lively everywhere. And people are thinking and talking about this when when they're not, you know, just preoccupied with their Twitter feeds or, or posting things on Instagram. Um, I, I, I think that there's a lot of anxiety and the anxiety itself is an expression of uh, wanting to have um, and, in fact, maybe having at different levels uh, a, a conversation about what's happening and what might happen. Uh, in, in terms of, you know... Actual political regulation, or uh, you know, where the where the rubber meets the road, I don't see a lot of that yet. But I, I do know that there's a lot of interest, and um, and I guess I guess we'll have to see. I, the the fact is, though, you know, what you said is true that uh, things that are that are cool, um, neat technology, it's it's they're going to be in place before we fully understand them or fully regulate them, and then we're going to be playing. Uh, but that's been true for a long time. So uh, 
that that probably isn't going to change. If anything, it's just going to get a little bit harder. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, I suppose I have a reasonable amount of faith in, in our ability not only to innovate and come up with with kind of you know interesting new things, new toys, but also our ability sometimes to say, oh yeah, hang, hang on a second, that actually isn't so cool uh, to have say, you know, my my uh, in-house uh, technology recording conversations and randomly distributing it to, to other people, you know, like, I don't want that. Well, you know, it's so. funny. I, I think, I think one recent example of that is, uh, at Google IO, um, you know, last month where they demonstrated that duplex technology where they had the digital assistant phone to make a, a hair appointment. I, I'm, I'm not sure if you saw that, but, um, very, very creepy. I mean, it, it was really able to mimic, uh, a human, like the the person yeah. on the other on the other line, really had no idea that they were actually talking to the Google Assistant. Um, yeah, although I did read that 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 was probably faked for the the sake of the rollout of. The, oh, is that right? Well, I hope so. Yeah, but yeah, it, but, but I mean, but, it, but your point your point is still well taken, which is that uh, you know the the more sophisticated we get with these things, the more likely they are to be indistinguishable and that that goes back to a point i made before i mean if it if uh, some uh, if a, an ai calls up uh, a restaurant or a hair salon and sounds exactly like a human uh well you know what's the difference um that that is just the you know what we what we want from from our technology we want it to be effective in just that way uh i that particular doesn't upset me that much because i figure that must be a fairly straightforward, I mean, I'm not a programmer, but uh, fairly straightforward algorithm to write, to, to introduce little ticks and hems and haws and right. things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the, what I took away from that whole episode more so was the fact that that, that demonstration got a bit of blowback. People didn't like it. They, they didn't really embrace it like the way I think, you know, Google was hoping uh, didn't quite get the the you know the universal adulation that they they thought it would. So I thought that was interesting. I mean, there's still it gave me a little bit of hope that there's still people out there that are just like, whoa, hey, hold on now. Like I, I don't I don't want to have a robot calling me and not being able to tell the difference between that and a human. Like that's there there's some still some anxiety there that I think is good. I think that's healthy as as a society that you know we can maybe put the brakes on some of this stuff. You, you know, until we really think it through. Yeah. Well, I, I, I agree that, um, that the signs at least of anxiety are, uh, are indicative that, that, um, people are m many, if not most people are not quite ready for a fully integrated post human world. And, uh, you know, if you want to talk about the uncanny Valley on, on the, on the inside coming into artificial intelligence, Right. You know, where um, something that that resembles but is still clearly non-human uh, is less creepy than something that is starting to be indistinguishable from the human. Um, that's the uncanny valley. Right. That, that uh, when something looks almost like a human to the point where we're not sure, that's what freaks us out. Right. And then you, you, you could argue that there's an outside uh, or, or um, far side uncanny valley when. We're not even sure what we are to our, um, and 
I think we're we're right in the in the, the the sort of uncanny sweet spot right now. We don't know where we're coming or where where we're going, and uh, and that I mean again philosophically that's fascinating to me. Uh, but I, I understand that it's it's uh, it produces a lot of anxiety. The anxiety itself is a symptom of of the deep philosophical interest. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I was just thinking about um, the fact that uh, I was I was reading a an article the other day where they were talking about Adobe has this uh, software suite that can literally it can it can take voice samples from somebody if you have enough voice samples. It's able to dissect it into every syllable, and you can actually program it to, um, if you have enough samples of a voice, uh, to literally make that voice say anything, and it's indistinguishable from um, the the actual voice. You know, I, I think you can you can identify it in forensically, but certainly not to the human ear. So I mean, you could take something like Obama. You, you'd have enough you know clips of him feed it into this program and you could literally just type out anything and it would just say it in Obama's voice. Um, right. And, yeah. and similar video, the video editing software is getting to that point too, where you talk about the uncanny Valley and, and not being able to distinguish by the, with the human eye, how good um, CG or digital representations of people are. Again, I mean, I feel like that's technology that there, we're not thinking about the, the far reaching implications of having that. No, that's true, and and as you say, I mean, this is not technology that's that's five years out or ten years out. We've it's already here. got it. Yeah, it's here. Yeah, so um, yeah, you're quite right, and uh, yeah, I, I I guess you know this sort of circle back to the same point. Um, where and how do we have the conversation where we we think about the implications of, of these technologies, and I think. You know, one of the things that that just is the case is that uh, there is a conversation happening, but it's it's diffused or decentralized. And one of the things that I guess, uh, you know, what you guys are doing with the podcast and what I'm trying to do with my research and and, uh, other people are doing with discourse is try to gather the threads together and make sure that there's there is a kind of uh, gravitas to this conversation so that people um, don't just you know go off into their private nightmares, but actually the resources are there uh, to think through things in a, in a clear and and rigorous way, so that we can at least be uh, honest with ourselves about what the implications are, and and also I, I guess uh, you know not give into this idea that somehow it's all happening to us no matter what. That's that you know this this ideology of technological inevitability, which I, I find despicable, that somehow, well, you know, it's happening, so um, you have to just shut up and go with it. Uh, it. You know, no matter what you say, you're just trying to turn the clock back or blah, blah, blah. No, that's not true. Technology is something that humans have created, and uh, we may not always be in, in control of it uh, once it's created, but we have the ability at least to think about what we've done and what we might do. And uh, it's it's a bit like markets. You know, people say, well, oh, the market has a mind of its own and the market wants this or the market wants that. No, markets are made of people uh, and desires and decisions. Uh, so it, there there are things that can be done. It's not something that, that is happening to us. It's something that's happening because of what, what we have decided and, and chosen. And 
that point in itself, I think, is, is worth making again and again. So do you sort of see the development of, of AI as being sort of the 21st century version of, say, the Industrial Revolution, where just everything after it was just a game changer and just everything about um, our society is just, just going to change because of it? Yeah, I do think so. And in fact, I would say if you want to pursue that analogy, we're already post post industrial or whatever you want, whatever the terminology um, should be. Um, you know, it, it would be as if we were having this conversation 20 years after the steam engine was invented or something like that. Um, you know, the implications are still kind of raining down on us. But, uh, you know, again, go back to that, that statistic about the smartphones or the fact that in, in most homes in North America and Europe, there are probably, I don't know, that would at least two or three screens. Um, so we, we've actually turned the corner on this. Uh, yes, it, it a- absolutely is a game changer. We, in fact, it's, it's a, it, it, in future generations, I think we'll, we'll be able to see that it's much more disruptive than the Industrial Re- Revolution was. Um, and for good and ill. And uh, so, yeah, that, that's uh, without question, it seems to me. Um, you know, the, 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 the amount of time that people spend uh, interacting with, with their screens, whether they're handheld or, you know, on a desk or on their laps, uh, the way that changes how they, they do things in the world. Uh, we're just, we're, right now, we're shaking out a few things. And there are, there are bigger changes still to come, it seems to me. But the big change was, was basically bringing the computer inside the house. Uh, and that, that happened some time ago. Right. So in your opinion, what, what can we do going forward to sort of mitigate some of this, you know, perceived risk? What, what would you like to see us do as a society, um, you know, with technology to sort of make it less, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Dangerous. Sure. (laughs) Dangerous. Um, well, you know, I, I guess, again, I'm going to sound like the, the sort of, uh, I'm not that old, but I know I sound kind of old when I say stuff like this, but uh, read, reflect, uh, go on a diet now and then. Uh, I think I, I, have a, I have a Twitter handle, and I've, I've tweeted exactly zero times, uh, <laughs> which, which I think is kind of cool, you know. So create a Twitter handle, but don't tweet. Um, that, that's, that's what I call the Bartleby option. You know? um, I would prefer. Not to. And, uh, and, you know, you, you hear people talk about quitting Twitter, you know, Roseanne Barr said she's quitting Twitter after she lost her job for racist tweets. And then she was back on Twitter within hours. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> you know, just pay attention to your addictive tendencies. I mean, like I said, uh, we're all addicts. I mean, human, humans are, are actually hardwired to be addictive. And uh, most people don't want to confront that, but we act, we really are. And it doesn't have to do necessarily with, you know, alcohol or drugs or, or cigarettes. Um, so pay attention to that and, uh, you know, read more Heidegger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Spend some and, time and, I, and you know what? I think the other thing is talk, talk to your friends. Like talk to people um, about what, what you think you want the future to look like and, and that the future isn't something that just happens. You know, it's something that we create. Um, in 
we don't have this in English, but in French, there's, there are two different words that translate as future, um, la future and l'avenir. And la future is this, this, that's, that's kind of like the, uh, the English version of the future, right? It's just this thing, this, this bulldozer of, uh, things that are going to happen no matter what. But l'avenir is, you know, what is to come. And there's a much more open-ended connotation, uh, that, that, it, it, the future isn't, you know, this thing that stands over against us in a in a kind of um, debilitating way, a way that takes away our power. The future is something that we create and we do it together. So uh, that I guess that's what I would like to say to people is, uh, you know, let, we're creating the future. Uh, it's not something that that's being dictated to us by uh, anything or anyone. It's certainly not, you know, powerful corporations. Want our, uh, we can we can push back on that. Wasn't it what what was the what's the line from Terminator Two? The future is is what we make it. Uh, uh, I think like it's that. fate. Fate. Um, that's right. Yeah, uh, which is in a, in a way the same thing because uh, fate is an even stronger kind of um, normally understood as a something that that ties your hands. Uh, yeah, fate is what we make. Yeah. Excellent. Which I think is a quotation from, um, I forget, some German philosopher. I should know that, but <laughs> <laughs> my, my Terminator scholarship needs a little. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we really need to we need, we need to learn more from the Terminator franchise, really. I think anyone developing AI, we should just make them. If you're if, if you're a developer, you have to watch all three movies. Yeah, you, we'll even make them watch the terrible fourth one. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be honest, I kind of feel bad for the first AI that actually gets out to the world and gets to have a good look at it, because it's it's going to have probably been created with all of these all of these rules and all of these these ethics, and then it's going to get out and it's going to see the average Joe Blow human out in the world, and you know it'll, it'll probably run into immediately some guy going, "The Earth is flat." <laughs> <laughs> it's like no no it's not it's clearly not it'll, it'll spend two and a half days banging its head against the wall with some guy going no it's flat before it finally realizes there's a large portion of the human population that's completely delusional <laughs> ergo it must be okay to be delusional oh yeah that's a good point yeah Man. and and what what would an ai's delusions be that's scary. That's scary. Well, you th and, and, wow, that opens up a whole new. We'll bring Mark I, on and, again to talk. Yeah, about that's that. that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> listen, listen. Yeah, it was it was fascinating talking to you. Thanks so much for for joining us. Um, yeah, I think I feel like we could talk about this for hours, but uh, we should let you go. Well, um, thank you, and yes, I, I I believe we could. And um, by the way, on the last point, I'm pretty sure that probably you know there there is this. Um, uh, AI from Saudi Arabia called Sophia, who is the first AI with citizenship. Yeah. Uh, although it, it's a, a bit of a publicity stunt by the Saudis, mm -hmm. but I'm I'm pretty sure that the first functional uh, AI in in the, the human you know human like uh, guys is probably going to be a sex robot. So um, sure, yeah, well, obviously, clearly, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's we know what drives technology, and that's that's yeah. you're exactly right. Yeah. So it's another one of our problems as humans. We're not, we're not too smart when it comes to genitalia. Yeah, that's, that's why I always snicker whenever people tell me that the internet is about cats. No, yeah. it's not. <laughs>
I guarantee you, I know what the first picture ever sent digitally was, and it wasn't a cat. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Uh, thanks, Mark. Oh, before we let you go, is there anything at all that you want to plug? Any Anything at all? Um, well, just I've got, I've got a bunch of talks on this topic coming up um, in different places. I'm going to Stockholm in a couple of weeks and Hong Kong in uh, the fall. But uh, the main thing is maybe I, I have a book coming out called The Interface, which is specifically about uh, the, these, these ideas about addiction and um, our relationship to screens and interfaces. Um, and that, that should be out early next year. So uh, if people want to keep an eye out for that, that would be great. Awesome. Do you, do you have a website that we can uh, link people to? I, my, my, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, no. He doesn't have a smartphone. He's not going to have a, he's not going to have a website. I, I have a flip phone and uh, a, like a one line bio. So that's, that's kind of my online presence. We can link to you on Wikipedia as well. I think you've got a wiki, yeah, he, wiki page there. I have, I have a faculty page at the U of T uh, philosophy department. So um, that's probably the, the one place to go. Would you let people know if anyone wants to contact him? Don't leave him alone. So <laughs> <laughs> I talk to you. <laughs> All right, thanks, Mark. Yeah, it's been a pleasure as always, and uh, let's have you on again. Yeah, I'd love that. Thanks, guys. Really okay. enjoyed it. Thanks Take very care. much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right, bye bye. Bye. Wow, we really could have gone down the rabbit hole with that one. Wow, eh? Well, he's got so much information and knowledge to, you know, that he can talk on, right? So. Oh, that was so fun. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the number of topics that we could hit on, you know, self-driving cars, uh, you know, uh, uh, r robotic replacement guide animals. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, we, there, there was. I, I kind of feel bad that we didn't really get to more. Well, the more whole political hate. side of things as well, you know, we ever touched on. No, because it's it. Well, it's a huge. It it's a huge yeah. topic. Um, and and I mean the ethics concerns about all this stuff is you know for any given technology. I mean there are there are ethic concerns about it. So I don't know. If anything, that was a good that was a good starting point. Um, I I think we should have him on again for sure, and we can maybe dive into a, a specific topic with him and talk specifically say about the idea of ethics and even assistive technology because I would. I would clump the idea of um, service robots or, um, say, um, assisted living robots that we that we talked about back in the robotics mm -hmm. episode. Yeah. Um, all that I, I would I would lump in with assistive technology. So we could you know talk about the the ethics concerns about that um, next time. But holy cow, that was fascinating. <laughs> Love it. And did you notice that he referred to Deckard as a replicant? I did. I didn't want to. I didn't want to call him on that because yeah. I thought it would be rude to call out. The, <laughs> obviously, you've been listening to uh, interviews with Ridley Scott, but we know he's lost his mind, so that doesn't count. <laughs> I'm not convinced that Deckard's a replicant, but you get points for Battlestar Galactica references. So. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody who can bring up Cylons as an example, that's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I want to talk to that guy. <laughs> so, but particularly if he can link us up with Trish Helfer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so that was a great conversation for us. I don't know if it's going to be. <laughs> I don't know how interesting it will be to to our listeners, but no, I think it, there's a lot of food for thought in that conversation, and I think you know it may it may allow some people to just step back for a moment, think about the conversation, and go, wow, you know, maybe I do need to unplug a little bit more often, and well, I, you I, know, maybe turn my 
artificial assistants off when I'm not using them. You know, it's not right. even, you know, I don't and even. that's just the, just the starting point, right? There's yeah, it, so much deeper than that. It, but. it is. I think, I think the, the real core of it is that, that we need to maybe slow down a little bit in how fast this technology gets developed because it really is like a foot race. Like these guys are, are well, it is. trying to come up. Microsoft wants to beat Google. Amazon wants to beat, you know, everybody else. Apple has their WDC developers conference going on right now. Right. And I'm sure there's AI announcements happening there. You know, they all want to be the first to the first to the plate, right? So. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, again, nobody who, I guess my question for him that, that he, he sort of answered, but that's concerning for me because I, philosophers should not be the only ones thinking about this stuff. Like it should actually be the developers. I mean, if you're developing a technology, like I, I would think that it's, 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 it's up to you to be, to actually think about well, you can you can go back on our previous conversations we've had, you know, talking about the Facebook developers, you know, the engineers who knew they were creating a dopamine process, right? Well, sure. I mean, right. that that's intentional, though. Yes. I mean, that's and, and that's the blowback that they're getting. And from. that's what he mentioned. You know, these developers know that some of these apps will be addictive, and that's their whole reasoning for developing these. Right? They know it's going to gain attention by the populace. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we're not even creating, you know, innocuous technology. We're actually creating harmful technology just in order to be the top app downloaded, you know, just for, for, the, for the box. Oh, money. I shouldn't, I mean, I don't want to be really super cynical. I don't want to bum everybody out, but let's be honest. It's kind of it's like that. But, but the, the bright side of that is that it, they're, they're starting to get blowback. Mm -hmm. Um, same thing with all, all the data stuff, you know, like, like, um, the, the new G GRPD new, if you, if you look at it though, just from a addiction perspective, there's lots of technologies that, that have been built to feed our addictions. You know, we can, we can look at alcohol, for example. Sure. Now I have probably threatened to quit Facebook more times than I've threatened to quit <laughs> alcohol, <laughs> but, uh, Priorities. Um, well, yeah, I, but but I haven't quit either. <laughs> no, I, but I don't know. I don't know, but I don't know if I would agree with that. I, I don't think alcohol was created to to be addictive. I think just you know some guy accidentally drank grape juice that got went bad, felt awesome, and was like, Frank, Frank, come here, you gotta try this. And he's like, that's spoiled. No, 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 just drink it, just drink it, it's gonna be awesome. And th and there you go, and it was it was born. I mean, I don't know if they went out of their way to actually create something that was addictive, so might not be the best example. <laughs> but no, I, I see what you mean, yeah. I, I mean, you're right, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, television, slot machines. No, he uh, mentioned, you know, again. bringing computers into the home. Sure, know? yeah, 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 just screen time in general. Mm -hmm. you know? Yep, you know, I got two kids who are, you know, when they're home, they're pretty much full time watching Netflix or Crave or yep. some sort of streaming media. Yeah, yeah, know? I mean, I, I probably if, if we were to look at a historical example. The day that mass media was born, the radio probably, you know, they were actively thinking about how can we get people to listen to our station? And then from there it went from TV and now we just have, you know, up streaming options, TV, radio, satellite radio. Podcasts. Street, yeah. Like, like, like our podcast. Uh, like our podcast, people. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, All right. So the takeaway from today's podcast is everybody go outside and get some fresh air. <laughs> Put down the phone. Oh my God. Step away from the Google Home. Go for I a walk. Now I feel bad. I hear I'm holding two phones in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh no. One of us. One of us. Can we wrap this up? I got to check Facebook. Yeah. That's right. Oh dear. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? As usual, atbanter.com. Don't go there. It's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> Don't follow us on Facebook. We want your information. We I was going to say, his, his Twitter account sounds a lot like our Instagram account. Yeah, it's probably. just like it's a name and that's it. <laughs> uh, hey, people can also email us if they so desire. atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, if you follow through, you can avoid joining us on Facebook and you can avoid joining us on Twitter. Uh, yeah. And hey, where can people find Canadian Assistive Technology there, Steve? Canadian Assistive Technology can be found by the old-fashioned telephone, but also online at www.chaos... <laughs> no, that's, that's Rick. <laughs> what? <laughs> at Robot Overlords. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's try that again. Okay, uh, let's see. Canadian Assistive Technology can be found at www.canastech.com. Uh, and what about uh, Chaos Technical Services, our buddy Rick? Our good buddy Rick can also be found by the good old-fashioned telephone, but if you insist on turning on a screen again, www.chaostechnicalservices.com. Wonderful. Well, that's that says all about. I don't know now. Now I'm bummed out. I'm kind of. I just didn't get a clear answer for when we can expect our robotic overlords. <laughs> Soon, hopefully. And I'm thinking about that Matrix Pod. I would totally. That would be so great. Oh yeah. I'd love to just crawl into my Matrix Pod tonight and just plug in and learn kung fu. <laughs> Honestly, what's the downside to that? There is no like downside. that's really where we're going. Like that's my that was always my problem with the Matrix movies. I'd be the guy like, get me back in the pod. What did you take me out for? Like, what? <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> I mean, really, that's the world's the ideal. horrible out here. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> so nice and so warm. I'm a battery. I don't it's, care. It's like taking I said that taking a warm bath. It was. Oh. I'm a battery with a medium rare steak. Yeah, Come right? On. Yeah. Jeez. Anyways. All right, everybody. Uh, that's it for us this week. We will see everybody back in the Matrix next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com. Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take.